Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the same verses we did last week. 1 Peter 1, 22 through chapter 2, verse 3. Now, kids, do you know what we're talking about when we say the Word of God? Who can tell me what the Word of God is? Does anybody know what that means? What we're talking about? What's the Word of God? Is that too hard? Yeah, I got it. The Bible, there we go. A good Sunday school answer. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the Bible. It's important for us to take some of these terms that we hear a lot, some, some of them, and remind ourselves of why we use them, what they mean, and when we talk about the Word of God, most of the time what we're talking about is the whole Bible. Everything that we've been given by Him in written form. And this morning, we are studying the Word of God. We're studying the Bible, but the reason that we call it the Word of God is because it is something that God has said. And... One of the things that he says about it in our passage this morning is that we are to long for it. We are to long for the Word of God. Let's read. Kids, pay attention. Listen to what God has to say. This is God's Word. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers. And the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. This passage says a lot about the word of God, the word of the Lord. It stands forever. It stands forever. The things that God has said 
are not going to fall down. They're not going to be toppled. You know, when we erect giant statues of something that we honor or someone that we honor, we know that one day they will come down. We know that one day they will fall. Sometimes sooner than we expected. This year, a number of statues that I wasn't expecting to topple, toppled. They fell down. They were destroyed. They were, they were pulled down. But the word of the Lord stands forever. God's word stands forever. Now we have this, this beautiful, beautiful quote in here where the Bible is quoting the Bible, where God is quoting himself, reminding us of things that he has said in the past. Now, when you talk about somebody quoting himself, that sounds silly. But when you talk about somebody reminding you of what he has said before, and you think, oh yes, he's the king. All of a sudden, it makes a little bit more sense for him to remind you what he said, right? Like when, when your dad says, I did tell you. I did tell you, didn't I? To bring in the trash can. Anytime that you see it out and empty, right? Did I tell you that? Yes, I did tell you that. It's a good reminder, isn't it? God reminds us of things that he has said over and over and over. And often in the New Testament, we have little quotes from the Old Testament. So here we have a quote. All flesh, verse 24, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. No attribution. No reference. No footnote. Well, you might have had an editor add those. No plagiarism. In spite of all of those things not being there, right? Peter isn't stealing something from the Old Testament. Peter isn't stealing something from Isaiah. This is God speaking. God reminds us of what he said. The word of the Lord endures forever. Now, why do I say, point out that This is God speaking and God reminding us of what he said. Well, because I just got done saying, hey, it stands forever. So, when God, hundreds and hundreds of years later, quotes himself, reminds us of what he said, and says it again to us, he's reminding us that it hasn't changed, that it is going to stand forever. Still the same. Unchanging. 
not being destroyed, not being lost, not most of it coming true, but little parts of it maybe not coming true. All of it. What he says will happen is going to happen. And here, one of the things that he says to us is that flesh, or you and me, man, see this? My hand? See how I can grab it? That's my flesh. We're made of flesh. All flesh is like grass. Every week, we mow our grass. And it gets chopped down. That's the end of that. It falls down into the ground. And it rots. It decays. Worms eat it. And that's what's going to happen to us. All of us, we are flesh. And just like the grass, it withers, flower. We've come to that time of year where the last of the flowers have fallen off. We're heading into the season of winter, the season of death, the reminder that we are like grass. And all of that is set in contrast to, it's shown to be so different from, the Word of God, which stands forever. It doesn't just stand in the spring when the grass comes out, and then in the summer and then the fall until it dies. The Word of God is always in season. The Word of God is always flowering. The Word of God is always bearing fruit. The Word of God doesn't die. It doesn't, it doesn't have to go through the season of winter. The Word of God stands unchanged. Now, there are times, we must admit, where God's Word is not acknowledged to be fair, to be flowering to be standing. There are times and places where God's Word is rejected. And yet, when God's Word is rejected, does that demonstrate that God's Word has fallen? No. Exactly the opposite it demonstrates that God's Word is true and stands forever because God has said that there will come a time when the people will not stand for hearing God's Word, but rather they will want to hear false words. They will want to hear false prophecies. They will want to hear pleasant, happy things that tickle your ears and that make you feel good and so, when that happens, God's Word is standing, isn't it? The truth of it is being demonstrated when that happens. 
So we must not despair when the whole world turns against God. We must not despair when all of the nation hates what God's word says. We must not think, oh, there's no hope for the future. We must not think, oh, God isn't powerful enough to accomplish his word. His word is being shown that it is standing. When that happens, his word is showing its perfection. Because he said in his word, this would happen. And when it happens, that ought to strengthen our faith. That ought to cause us to be more sure of God and of his word. Not to become more worried. You understand? Because his word stands forever. Now, do you know what comes after that quote in Isaiah? I didn't know. I had to look. I couldn't remember. I thought about it, and I thought I should know this. Now, kids, you pay attention, and you learn this, so that when you're my age, you will remember what comes after this quote in Isaiah, all right? Here's the quote again, remember? Peter's writing and he says, All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. That's a quote from Isaiah chapter 40. And here's what comes next. Get yourself up on a mountain. Get yourself up on a mountain. You think you can remember that? That's what comes next? What are we going to do on the mountain? Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily. O Jerusalem, bearer of good news, lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. So, the word of the Lord stands forever. Get up on a high mountain and shout about it. And shout about what? Shout about the coming Savior at that time. And now, Peter is writing in a time where the Savior has come. Peter's writing to a group of people that he knows have not forgotten what Isaiah 40 says. 
He's writing mostly to Jews, not who had all learned to read and who had a convenient small copy of the Bible or even on their phones, right? They, they didn't get the opportunity, many of them, to learn to read at all. They certainly couldn't carry around with them the whole Bible. Big, long scrolls that had to be very, very, very carefully taken care of. You would not carry one around with you unless you were very, very rich. Because they cost a lot of money. They needed to be protected and cared for. And so, how is it that Peter can just quote from the middle of the book of Isaiah? How is it that Peter can just quote from the middle of the book of Isaiah and know that they will know that that's where he's quoting from without even saying where he's quoting from? And how is it that he knows that they know what comes next? It's because they memorized God's Word. It's because they loved His Word and they ate it. They hid it in their hearts. They wrote it on the doorposts of their houses. They loved God's Word. And Peter knows this. The Word of the Lord endures forever. And what comes next? The Messiah is coming. And and what does Peter say? Peter says, and this is the word which was preached to you. This is the word that was preached to you. What word? The gospel. The gospel message that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. It is living. It is enduring. It stands forever. Exactly what Isaiah said would happen. It happened. Exactly what the prophets had prophesied in God's name by the power of the Holy Spirit, so God had caused it to happen. The good news was preached. The Messiah came. So when he says it stands forever, when he says that it's enduring, when he says that it's still alive, that's what living means, right? Alive. Still alive. Always living. When he says that, and then follows it up and says, and this is the message that was preached to you, they are meant to bring everything that they know and have heard about Jesus Christ, and everything that the Old Testament said about the Messiah, that good news, and they're, they're meant to see, oh yes, this was the fulfillment 
the message that was preached is just the same message that the prophets were saying. It has been fulfilled. It is exactly what God said would happen. It happened. That's what Peter's bringing out by quoting from the book of Isaiah. But he doesn't just say that it is enduring, that it stands forever. We also are told to eat it. We're told that it is for consuming. Now, some foods today that you buy, you might be forgiven for questioning whether they are meant to be consumed. Right? I mean, there's some awfully weird things in the grocery store. And if you go to Jungle Gyms especially, you'll find a lot of things that you think, I'm pretty sure this was meant for selling, not for eating. Right? And if you go to an international section of Jungle Gyms, or if you go to a real international grocery store, there are all kinds of things that you have no idea what they're for, and you wonder, do people actually consume this? Does it actually go in your mouth? It looks disgusting. And some of you kids have had meals that your mother has made, and you have thought, this is not good for the body. It's not good for my body anyway. It's yucky. I don't like it. But you're not allowed to say that. You just, I know that you have thought it. I don't want to consume this. And yet, your parents will say, eat it. It's good for you. Right? It's good for you. Now, here we have Peter telling us, eat God's word. It's good for you. But but he's not saying, eat it, even though it's gross, it's all we've got tonight. You, You understand, right? He's saying, eat it, feed on it. It is good for you. It is nourishing right? It gives you the nutrients. It gives you what you need in your soul. But he's saying it is yummy. You will like it. It's not just good for you. It is delightful. In Ezekiel 3, we read God speaking to Ezekiel. He said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll. Now remember, scrolls were what? At that time, they were the books. So he's, eat this book. And go, speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he fed me this scroll. He fed me this book. 
Does that sound weird? Eating a book? Sounds weird, right? But that's exactly what Peter is telling us to do. Eat this book. Eat the Bible. He fed me this scroll. He said to me, Son of man, feed your stomach and fill your body with this scroll which I am giving you. Then I ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. You like honey? I like honey. I have, I probably like honey too much. Is it possible to like the sweet taste of God's word too much? No. It's good for you. It's nourishing. Fill your body with it. Fill your stomach with it. Your stomach is the depths of you. Your bowels. Fill yourself up with God's word. From the very bottom to the top of you, fill up that hollow leg. If you're hungry, keep eating. Don't stop. Keep going. Get full on it. Now notice I haven't been saying keep reading. You know that there's a difference between reading and eating, right? Okay, all you kids are like, yeah, I've never confused eating and reading. I <laughs> just never happened. But we often confuse reading and eating when we're talking about God's Word. We'll ask, well, you know, how have devotions been going? Oh, good, I've been reading the Bible every day. Good, but have you been eating it? Have you been feeding on it? Have you been nourished on God's Word? It's for consuming. It's for studying, yes. It, it's, for, it's for learning. But many, many, many people read God's Word and benefit not at all from it. Every day in the synagogues, the Law of Moses is read, right? Every day in United Methodist churches, God's Word is read, typically very, very shortly. A little quote here, a little quote there. There is no feeding on God's Word, though. There are atheists, people who don't believe in God, who spend hour after hour after hour, day after day after day, reading God's Word in order to find discrepancies and contradictions and be able to argue better with people who believe in this book, this Word of God that stands forever. They study it in order to try to find some leverage, some place where they can catch with a grappling hook and a rope in order to pull it down. 
And so they are never feeding on it, though they spend hours studying and reading it. Now, you see how you can read without feeding. You can be reading without feeding, but you must feed. You must be nourished on this Word. And they will never find any purchase. There is no place for their grappling hook to catch. And there is no leverage. Because there is no solid ground apart from God's Word. Remember, it stands forever. It endures. And so we are to eat it. Consume it. It's pure. You guys know that there are certain things in this world that you are not supposed to eat because they're bad for you, right? So lead is one of those things that you're not supposed to have any of it, especially when you're a kid. No lead. It's bad for you. So what happens if you get a little bit of lead in your food? You eat your food and you don't really notice the lead, right? Little tiny bit, day after day, and pretty soon you have lead poisoning. That's bad makes you dumb, literally, as long as you understand what I mean by dumb. (laughs) You don't want impurities in your food, right? Now, this gets to be a problem over the course of lots of eating. Lots of eating with a little bit of poison mixed in, and pretty soon you've had enough poison that there's a problem. But here, we're not given a warning about how much of this we're supposed to eat for fear that, you know, you have too much. It's not even, it's not even like, uh, you know, vitamin D, where you'll have people saying you need a lot of it and other people saying, yeah, but not too much, right? It's not like butter, where, you know, hey, it's, it's good for you. And then, but if you have too much, you'll get fat. No, it's just, it's just good. Just eat it. It's pure. It's not going to be a problem. Now that purity is contrasted in this text with the things that we are told that we are to put off. We're to put aside all malice and all deceit 
and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Now, these are words that we don't use very often. So, kids, are you ready to learn some new words? Do you know what malice means? No? No, don't know what malice means back there. Who does know what malice means? Liam? Anger is a good, good starting word with malice. Uh, bad intentions. Yeah. What's that? Ill will. That's a good one. It rhymes. Easy to remember. Malice is ill will. Yes, that's a good definition of malice. Ill will. It's it's being it's it's sort of like being angry at somebody and not liking them and wanting bad things to happen to them all rolled into one. It's pretty nasty, isn't it? Do you want a little bit of malice mixed in with your dinner? Think that would be good for you? Just a little bit. Let's just have a little bit of malice. Every meal. Would that be nice? Is there malice at your dinner table sometimes? For your brother? Are you angry at your brother? Upset at him? Wishing that something bad would happen to him? Delighting and laughing when he dribbles milk down his chin? Whoa. Malice is wicked. We're to put it off. We're to put it away. And God's Word doesn't have any malice in it. It's pure. What else is impure? Deceit. What's deceit? Kids, another word. What's deceit? No, you already answered. Yes, I see that hand. Who is that, zeal? Do you have an answer? No. Oh, surely you know what deceit is. Help me out. Is it like lies? Yes. She knows, doesn't she? Deceit is lies. What about hypocrisy? Who knows what hypocrisy means? See, you guys are learning all kinds of good words, aren't you? Hypocrisy. What is a hypocrite? What is hypocrisy? Yes. No. No. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. We got to we got to repeat it loud enough for everyone to hear though. It's like when you tell your brother not to mess with it and then you are messing with it. Right? That's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when you point out somebody else's faults, somebody else's sins, and you are doing the same thing. And you're ignoring it in yourself. What about envy? 
What's envy? You're cute, I'm not. Makes you envious, right? How come she doesn't have to go to bed? How come she doesn't have to go to bed? That's flowing out of envy, isn't it? How come he gets a nice car? How come I have to stay home and do my homework? How come you get all of the dessert? Right? Now, these kinds of thoughts bubble up out of our hearts all the time, and we are to set them aside and to fill our heart instead with the purity and nourishment of God's Word, which doesn't have any of these impurities in it. Oh, I skipped one. Slander. What is slander? This, this one is maybe the hardest of them. I don't know. Which, would you say malice or slander is harder? Slander. You think slander is harder. Okay, who knows what slander is? Liam, you're allowed to answer again. Do you know? Like false words. Can you add to it? False words about somebody else. Boom. Nailed it. Good job. That's slander. It is lying about somebody else. It is, it is, it, it combines malice and deceit into one. Poison on top of poison. When you hate somebody and you wish them evil and then you are deceitful about them, you have slander. Lies about somebody else. Psalm 12.6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. It's been purified. It, there is nothing bad in it. All of it is good for you. It will cause you to grow with respect to salvation. The Word of God is not just the Gospel. The Word of God is the spiritual food that is everything we need. Now you remember that quote from Isaiah, right? It said, go up on a mountain. That was what came next, right? Go up on a mountain, proclaim it. And then what did it end with? Well, the part I read. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock in his arm. He will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. What's a ewe? All these new things you have to learn. Yes. A mama sheep. That's right. Good job. A ewe 
is a mama sheep. Nursing you is a mama sheep that's nursing, right? You guys have seen your mamas feeding babies in your homes, nursing. And here, Peter says that we are to long for this food. We're to long for the pure milk of the word. Now, there's a couple of other places in Scripture where milk is used, and it is used uh, negatively. It's used differently than this. So I don't want us to get confused about this. All right, In 1 Corinthians 3.1 and in Hebrews 5.12, we're told that we're supposed to mature beyond milk. We're supposed to grow to where we're eating meat, Right? But that's not what Peter is getting at. He's not comparing how mature you are, that you still need milk, you're still an infant in spirituality, you're still an infant in Christianity, and that you should have grown more, you should be able to understand more by now of the preaching of God's Word. Peter is getting at something very different. He's saying that this is like the milk of the nursing you. It's everything that, that the sheep, the baby sheep, needs, right? The Word of God is everything that you need. It's all of the nourishment that you need. And he's talking about it specifically how we are to feel about it. Now, how does a baby feel about food? How does a baby feel about milk? About nursing? How does a baby feel about it? Come on. They like it? Passionate? <laughs> a thumbs up? We got, got some answers, right? You, you see, before they get to nurse, they are screaming, right? Do you ever, you ever hear a baby crying when the baby's hungry? Especially one of my babies? They are ready to eat right now. Don't change my diaper first. Don't clean me up. Give me the milk. I long for it. I need it. I'm going to die without it. That's what a baby thinks. That's why they're screaming. Give me milk lest I die. And that's how we're supposed to be about God's word. Like a newborn baby longs for pure milk. It's everything the baby wants, everything the baby needs. So we are to long for the pure milk of God's Word. This is not Peter calling us to be immature and stay on milk. He's holding the whole Bible out to us and saying, it's everything you need.
you're not going to remain immature if you continue to feed on God's Word. We need the Word of God inside us now. And then when we get it, after the baby has gotten the pure milk, then what? They keep screaming? Nope. Then you get that that crazy grin. That was good. That was good, wasn't it? Now this is what feeding on God's Word gives you. Have you ever been desperate in your life and finally turned to God's Word? Finally turned and read His promises and been... (sighs) Okay. Yes. This is exactly what I needed. This is... This is precisely what I needed to remember. This is what I needed to learn. God fed me. If you can read God's Word, you have a tremendous gift. Remember I said most of the Jews didn't learn to read. They didn't have the opportunity to read. Even if they had learned, they couldn't afford to own a copy of the Bible. They couldn't even afford to own one copy of one part of the Bible. They had to memorize it. Because the Bible is easy for us to access, easy for us to read, we might begin to value it less. But that would be a mistake. That would be a terrible mistake. We might think, oh, I don't need to memorize it. You would be wrong. Oh, I'll just feed it through my eyes. No, you need to eat it. You need to dwell on it. You need to study it. You need to memorize it. You need to be feeding on God's Word. You need to listen to it preached. It will nourish your souls. God's Word is part of the kindness of God to us. Because He has given you the ability to read, because He has given you access to His Word, that is a talent and a gift. Right? Now what are we taught in God's Word about talents and gifts from God? Do you know the story of the talents from God's Word, kids? You know the story of talent, the talents? The parable of the talents? No? The parable of the talents says you better not waste the gifts that God has given you. You better not waste the talents that God has given you. 
And so you've been given the talent of reading. You've been given the gift of God's Word. Don't neglect it. Feed on it. It is like honey. Let's pray. Gracious God, what a gift you have given us in your word. Thank you that we can study it together. Help us to increase in love for it, in desire for it. Forgive us for neglecting it. Father, bring your words to mind when we face temptation. Help us to be nourished and not distracted when we read it. And Father, do give us everything that it says. We know that it will stand forever, that it will come true. So, Father, strengthen our hope and give us great joy that we may stand on the mountains and proclaim this good news. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.